Welcome to episode 102 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste, Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during 
during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 102 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how was the cruise, Jen? Oh, my goodness. It was so fabulous. <laughs> it's like hard to explain how amazing it is because a bunch of people who you've never met before face-to-face, I mean, obviously some of them I had met before because some of them came on the first cruise in 2018, but the connection that you can have with people having never met them face-to-face is just incredible. And then you, actually, it started before we even got on the ship. When we met the night before, we had a dinner together it just is incredible. So I can hardly even express <laughs> how great it was. We had wide windows and lots of fun. There was dancing. There was laughing. It was the best. It's really exciting. And so keep it going next year, I suppose. Yep. Just right before we recorded this episode today, I was in a big group chat where there are a bunch of people who were there last time and already planning for 2020. June 22nd, 2020, we're sailing out of Charleston to go to Key West and Cuba. And the ship is filling up very quickly. Cuba is a popular destination for cruisers. So people are already booking. And And did you have any takeaways for listeners that you learned on the cruise? I think it's really the same as before. I've learned that when I go on vacation like this, you know, it was a five-day cruise, so five nights on the ship, and we had really wide windows. I'm talking eight to 12 hours a day for my eating window and really just, you know, never got to the point where I felt like I had just eaten too much, and that was my goal. I wanted to eat mindfully, so we had a great time, free-flowing food and drinks, but again, it took me three days of my normal routine once I got back to really feel like myself. Like, you know, we refill our glycogen stores with all that good food and and drinking. And so, you know, the first day driving home, I was fine. I opened my window at dinner once I got home. The second day, same thing, but I had like a mid-afternoon crash, which I don't usually have 
on a typical day. So I could tell I was getting to the bottom of my glycogen stores and my body was like, where's the energy? And then had my regular you know, snack and a meal that day. And then day three, I took a really hard nap in the middle of the afternoon, woke up from that. And then the day four back home, perfectly normal. That was yesterday. So I was thinking this would be going a little bit out of order, but we did have a question, a really short question, like near the end that actually relates to that. Do you want to go ahead and tackle that? Yes, let's do, because you're right. It does relate to that. It's perfect. Yeah, because Jonathan, he wrote in with the subject glycogen depletion rate, and he said, I just wanted to say I enjoy your podcast so much and keep up the hard work you both do. My question is, I know it takes about 24 to 48 hours to deplete glycogen stores, but can it be done faster through weightlifting and HIIT workouts? Are the numbers set in stone for everyone? So I just thought that might be a good question to bring up. Like, did you find, Jen, that did you do any extra activity or anything like that to help deplete your glycogen stores? And do you think they are different for everybody? Well, the thing that you have to remember is your liver stores glycogen. I want you to imagine it's like a storage tank, okay? I've talked about this before on the podcast. Imagine it's like a storage tank and imagine that it's completely full and you start fasting and you have to burn through all of it. When people say that it takes 24 to 48 hours to burn through stored glycogen, that is if you start with a full tank. And so when you are fasting, you're depleting your glycogen stores for energy. And then when you eat, you put some back in. And the key is that unless you're on a cruise like me, (laughs) you're not refilling it all the way. So yeah, I refilled my glycogen stores during that cruise and had to empty that storage tank again. And so it took me a few days to deplete it enough. And I'm not talking about a few days of just straight fasting. Like I said, I did my normal routine, but I was able to refill it enough on the cruise that I was not getting into ketosis after I got home. I know the feeling. I was not. I would be tired and lethargic. And so I didn't do a 24-hour fast. I didn't do a 48-hour fast. I just naturally depleted it. Apparently for me, that's how long it takes me, you know, on the fourth day after being back in my normal routine, I had depleted it enough to get back to my normal feeling, the feeling of ketosis. So, you know, what's going to depend on that for everybody? Well, of course, how long your windows, what you're eating. Yes, like Jonathan said, physical activity, that absolutely makes a difference because you can, you know, use energy during the day and therefore the more energy you use, the more you use. I mean, that... (laughs) (laughs) If that makes sense, I don't know how else to say it, but it is going to vary. And it also depends on how you're eating in your eating window. If someone is eating, you know, the carnivore diet, they're not refilling their glycogen stores. So, so many variables. Whenever we hear a number like it takes X for Y to happen, that's going to be a rule of thumb. It might be an average and it's going to be based on some sort of set of circumstances that actually a real person might not be going through. Was that clear? Yes. Basically, it's really, really individual for each individual person. And I think it's also very misunderstood. Like it's not an order. Like I don't think it's necessarily you only burn this one substrate, then you only burn this one substrate in a you know, in a certain order. And I talked about this before on the podcast, but I'll put a link. There is a link, actually. If you go to the Himalaya app and follow the Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like playlist that I've made, there's a link in there to an episode with Ben Greenfield and Thomas DeLauer. And he actually tackles the glycogen storage issue and how it relates to ketosis and the ordering of things and how substrates are used, because I do think it's a bit misunderstood. As far as physical activity goes and glycogen, we do know that certain types of physical activity are more likely to deplete glycogen versus fat, for example. So like long steady state endurance type work is more likely to burn fat, for example, whereas brief intense activity is more likely to burn glycogen, but it is very individual. You know, we also have glycogen in our muscles that our body could use depending on, you know, what activities you're doing at that time. So it's really, really complicated. You know, now that I understand what happens, you know, it makes sense why it feels like I'm walking around through molasses, you know, as my body's trying to get back into that fasted state and back into ketosis. But it's really not something that we need to like worry about micromanaging so much. 
eventually, when you feel great during the fast and you have mental clarity and energy and you don't need to nap during the fast, that's when you know your body's doing what it's supposed to do. So that's why the adjustment period is tricky. If someone starts on day one and they've never fasted before, your body's going to have a little bit more adjusting to do than mine does. My body knows how to be in the fasted state. So the fourth day, I'm boom, you know, back to myself. Exactly. And this is something completely anecdotal, but I typically, because I eat a lot of carbs, well, a lot, (laughs) a lot by the low carb standards, but not a lot by like standard American diet standards. But I do get most of my carbs mostly from fruit, which tends to be higher in, you know, more like fructose, more balanced ratio, not straight up glucose, like, you know, more starchy carbs or rice or something like that. I do find that, and this is very consistent with me, whenever I, for some reason, try the other types of carbs, like rice or sweet potatoes or something like that, which is pretty rare, but whenever I do, it's really weird. It creates a very, I can tell that I'm filling some sort of glycogen storage, I think in my muscles compared to my liver that I don't normally fill. And the next day or later when I'll be moving around and stuff, it's just a very different, I can just tell that I'm burning a different substrate of energy, if that makes sense. And I'll even, I'll get a burn feeling in my muscles that I will not get. I never get that feeling when I follow my typical diet. And I wonder if it's because of my muscles, you know, filling up with glycogen and then burning the glycogen and creating lactic acid from physical activity, whereas normally they would be depleted. It's very fascinating, very anecdotal, but I've noticed it very definitely. Does that make sense? That's interesting. I do all the carbs. (laughs) So I haven't, you know, I don't have any any noticing any difference because my diet's pretty much, you know, I have the starchy carbs. I don't eat a lot of fruit actually, but that wouldn't make a difference with the scenario you're talking about. But yeah, Yeah. that's fascinating. You know, I think we do become more in tune with our bodies. You know, I definitely could tell I felt different. You know, and if I didn't have an understanding of the process like I do, I might just have thought, oh gosh, my body's really tired from all the fun I had. But it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, definitely. So I do think there is something there though with filling liver glycogen versus muscle glycogen and things like that. So Yep, Jonathan, it's a good question. Long story short, I do think you will deplete your glycogen stores faster, definitely with weightlifting. HIIT actually burns preferentially both glycogen and fat, so that would do it as well. But no, the numbers are not set in stone for everyone. So, all right, that was a little bit out of order, but it just- But it was perfect. It flowed right (laughs) in. It did, it did. How are things with you? Everything is really good. I did one of those create, you remember how I threw my retainer away in the trash can? Yes. And had to go digging for it. I did something even worse this week. Uh Uh-oh, what was that? I threw away my garage door opener at a Ralph's like 45 minutes away at, of course, like midnight. Oh gosh. So you have a garage with your apartment? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So (laughs) I drove all the way back and then it was not in the car and I was like, I know where it is. It's in that trash can at Ralph's, Uh, 45 minutes away, 11 p.m. Yuck. I got to stop doing that. (laughs) Definitely. And it always comes from like when I'm trying to do something good, like I'm going to clean and throw away stuff. So like it's because I was randomly in the Ralph's parking lot and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be really productive right now and I'm going to clean out my car and throw stuff away and feel good. And then, yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. That's my life. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you found it. Of course. I had another wonderful thing to tell listeners, and I don't remember what it is right now. But if I remember, I'll let you know. Awesome. Awesome. So, yep, yep. All right. Shall we jump into the other things for today? So, yes, we have some feedback from Sarah. And this goes along with episode 99, which was the Zach Bush episode. I've also heard a lot of really positive feedback about this episode, by the way, Melanie. Yeah, I will say the feedback we've been getting about this episode has been absolutely amazing. And I wasn't sure if it was going to resonate quite as much with listeners because we tackle a lot of issues beyond fasting. I mean, fasting was a huge part of the conversation, but we also went into, you know, the environment and how modern agricultural practices have affected the gut microbiome, affected our health, 
like the role of farmers in the environment and how that is all being affected. And then we also went into fasting for health and and just restoring. And we ended with this really motivational conversation that I really just cannot encourage people enough to listen to because I've been getting so much good feedback about that episode. Yeah, me too. So this is from Sarah, and the subject was thank you. And she says, hi, Jen and Melanie. Just got done listening to the episode with Zach Bush. And again, that was number 99. It was so beautiful. And I really loved hearing about his take on environmental issues and their relationship with our food systems and also his spiritual awareness at the end. So, so beautiful. Fasting is great for weight loss and health goals, but our eating habits and patterns are also so intimately connected with our individual spirits and also with the earth. So it was really great to hear you guys talk about all of those things. This podcast is doing such a great service. Thank you. There was one thing I heard that brought up a question. Zach says he does IF on a week, off a week, which makes me wonder, what is the boundary in which people consider a period of time fasting or not? My fasting window is all over the place, varying from 12 to 14 hours with an average fast of about 19 hours. I know you can't answer for him, but I wonder what Zach's fasting window is when he's, quote, not fasting. Generally, when I'm not fasting, my fast is around 16 hours and, like I said, as low as 12, though that's rare. It just made me wonder what not fasting really means in terms of hours to someone who fasts. At this point, I can't imagine going lower than 14 to 16 hour regular fasts, which I certainly was not doing pre-IF. Anyway, just curious on your thoughts. Thanks again. You guys are my favorite. Yeah. So Sarah, thank you so much for your feedback. And I really liked this question because it's something that I've been thinking about ever since I started intermittent fasting. And it's basically the idea that it's funny, like, not fasting for me would be, you know, going like 12 hours or so, but my old self, that would totally be fasting. You know, does that make sense? It does. I feel like once you start doing intermittent fasting and getting really comfortable with it, your definition of not fasting is fasting to most other people. You're right. Because when I was on the cruise, the earliest I opened my window was 11 And that was honestly so I could have a Bloody Mary. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know? No, that's why I just love this question from Sarah. And I felt like, oh, it's so early, but I'm going to go ahead and have it. (laughs) And that was a 12-hour eating window day, so do the math. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I got this question from Sarah, and I was like, yes. I was like, somebody else, like, thinks about this. Right. Because she said that when she's, quote, not fasting— her fast is 16 hours, right? you know, which most people would be like, oh my goodness, 16 hours, right? Yeah. For me, like if I were to go only 12 hours, I mean, I'd be like, what? Like that's not even remotely fasting, but most people, not most people, but you know, a lot of people not familiar with intermittent fasting, 12 hours seems so daunting. Yep. And yeah, that day I had a 12 hour window because we were on the island of Grand Turk. And I just have to tell you, that was the most magical day I've ever spent on an island. Oh, really? What was it like? We went to a place called Jack's Shack, which is like way far down the beach, and it's where a lot of locals go, and we had heard about it, and they have dogs there. They have the most photographed dog in the world, by the way. His name is Topher, such a cutie pie. We met Jack. We met locals. Why is he photographed? Because people from all over the world go to Grand Turk and take a picture of Topher, and then they share it. Does he look like something special? I know he's some kind of poodle mix, curly hair. He's super cute, but he's kind of a big one. I don't know breeds of dogs, but people always take his photo and post it. (laughs) But we also had someone join us who lives on Grand Turk that is in our Facebook group. And she's like, I'm going to come meet y'all at Jack Shack while y'all are on the island. I mean, it was amazing. And then she knew all the locals that were there. So the ocean was beautiful. You know, people kept coming and going from our group. You know, we probably had, I don't know, 20 people coming and going that had been with us on the cruise ship, plus the locals. And it was just a beautiful day. And then we had a late night that night because we ate dinner at the steakhouse, which lasted till about 11 p.m. So, yeah, by the end of that 12-hour eating window, I was literally falling asleep at the dinner table. (laughs) People that were around me will probably be talking about that for a while. 
it felt like I can't even imagine eating for 12 hours like normally. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Can I go on a tangent about fasting that that reminded me of? Yes. You're just talking about like the constant eating and the being sleepy and all of that stuff. I wonder, we always get hit with all the studies about the circadian rhythms and how people are like not as insulin sensitive in the evening right? and everything. Do you think that's just because most of the studies when that's conducted, they've been eating all day? Oh, that's fascinating. I'd never thought of that. But you know what? Very interesting. I'm just throwing that out there because I feel like most of the studies who look at people who eat late, it assumes they've been eating earlier as well. Right. It's not looking at one meal a day patterns. So- if you're constantly eating anyway, even if it's like lighter snacking and stuff, if you're never getting into a, you know, an insulin regulating mode and then you're eating still at night, I mean, it would just make sense that of course you're not insulin sensitive because you've been eating all day. Right. Yeah. So what we really, we need apples to apples is what we need. Because we get insulin sensitive. We get pretty insulin sensitive after, you know, after some fasting. So it's like looking at any typical eating pattern that includes late night eating, it would assume that you're fasting overnight, so you're getting insulin sensitive, but then it's going to assume you're still eating, you know, lightly throughout the day. And 
than eating at night as well. So of course, by that time, you're probably not so insulin sensitive. I'm just throwing that out there. I have never thought of that before, but you know, now that you say it, I'm like, duh, why haven't we thought of that before? (laughs) Because you're right. You know, the big rationale behind, you know, perhaps a morning window might be quote better because you're more insulin sensitive. That's what they always say. They always say it. They're like, you're more insulin sensitive in the morning. You're more insulin sensitive in the morning. But is that just because you slept overnight? You've You've been been fasting. fasting. Excellent point. I don't know. What we really need is, like I said, an apples to apples study where people have the exact same length eating window, but different times of day. Yeah, because the other reason I thought about it is because when I sit down to eat my dinner at night, I feel at that moment, I feel so insulin sensitive. Like because I've been fasting all day, I feel like super insulin sensitive. I mean, just feeling it, you know? What does that, I mean, I don't know. I've never like, wow, I feel insulin sensitive. (laughs) What what do you mean by that? I mean, my body feel, I know that sounds really- It just feels right. Is that what you're saying? It just, I feel like, because again, the reason I thought about it after what you said, if I ever have a day where for some reason I've been eating constantly, it's like I'm in the eating mode and I kind of just get into like this, I want food mode. Oh yeah. I just feel like I'm eating food to like almost be on the insulin roller coaster or like, you know, eat oh, some definitely. food and then it's like down and then I want more food and then I'm down and I want more food. Whereas when I've been fasting all day, which is like my normal day, and then I sit down to eat dinner, I feel like, okay, I'm ready. And then I can like sense when I'm had enough and I can sense when I'm full and I don't feel that roller coastery feeling. I mean, like I said, I don't know what insulin sensitive or insensitive feels like on a scientific level, but I don't feel quote insulin insensitive. I guess it would be that you're talking about that whole blood sugar roller coaster that goes up and down. Yeah. 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 But I was definitely falling asleep at the table. So (laughs) it was a long day. And of course, the fact that I already explained that I opened my window at 11 a.m. with a Bloody Mary might also explain why I was falling asleep. So that could, <laughs> might have something to do with it. <laughs> it was just a perfect day. I didn't drink too much. I didn't eat too much. I was full by the end of it. But, you know, it was just a beautiful, beautiful day. Awesome. Well, shall we jump into the listener questions for today? Yes. All right. So we have a question from Emma. The subject is, What type of fasting should I try? And Emma says, Dear Melanie and Jen, hello from Australia. That's what I remember, Jen, that I had an announcement about. (laughs) I just remembered. Okay. It's not about Australia, but finally, my book, What When Wine, is going to be available in the UK on Audible. Oh, that's good. Yay. It's been a journey getting it available everywhere because of you know, just rights because I don't personally, since I didn't self-publish it, I don't have direct control of rights and territories and things like that. So it's been um, a bit difficult to get it released, the audiobook version in the UK. It's coming, guys. Oh, I'm so glad. I signed the contract. So stay tuned. It'll be available. Oh, can I say one thing about Australia, though? Mm-hmm. Somebody on our cruise came all the way from Australia. Oh, really? It was amazing. We had, yep, we had someone from Australia, someone from Ireland, people from Alaska. I mean, it was just incredible to think that people traveled all over. But seeing the Australia here just made me smile because it made me think of wonderful Sandy, who was on our cruise from Australia. Love it. She was amazing. Well, shout out to Sandy. Yes. (laughs) And so back to Emma's question. She says, firstly, I love the show and I'm grateful for the time and effort you put into it. Secondly, my question. You often talk about committing to a fasting regime for a period of time before tweaking, and you also say that it's important to remember that what works for one person may not work for another. So following from this, I was wondering if you had any advice about A, how to pick which fasting regime to start with, and B, how long should you give it before making changes to it, such as shortening or extending the eating window or changing from an everyday to an alternate day approach, etc.? She says, it seems to me that you've mainly advocated a one meal a day approach to IF or at least 19 hour or more fasts. Is there a reason why you speak more about this type of fasting rather than alternate day 16, 8, 5, 2, or 4, 3? I know one of the benefits commonly spoken about with fasting is delaying rather than denying. But for me, the thought of only eating in a four hour window every day does sound like deprivation. I wonder... 
Does the daily short eating window you advocate have superior benefits to other fasting regimes like 4-3 with a 500 calorie one meal a day? Then I read articles saying that daily fasting can become a chronic stressor, particularly for women, and so an occasional or alternate fasting day approach may be better. So confusing. I find myself second guessing and swapping and changing and constantly not making any progress with fat loss. Any advice on where to start and how long to stick with that starting point without results before tweaking or changing fasting regimes would be very much appreciated. Thank you again for your fabulous podcast, Emma. So I thought this was a awesome question from Emma. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack from this one. Lots and lots. <laughs> we could probably talk about this for the whole rest of the show because there's a lot of complex stuff going on. But one part that's really easy to answer, Melanie, and I bet you'll agree with me here. You know, the reason we, you know, it may feel like we're advocating the one meal a day with a window, I mean, a fasting length of 19 hours or so is because that's what Melanie and I have both gravitated towards. So we talk about it because it's what we do. Yeah, it's what works for both Jen and I. So, and we find a lot of people as well. So that is why we talk about it a lot. But we don't say that it's the number one best way to do it. And, you know, we are all different. So, you know, why don't we start off with recommending 5-2 or 4-3 or 16-8? Well, actually, I think 16-8 is a great place to start. So for someone who's just starting off with intermittent fasting, start with 16-8. That would be an eight-hour eating window and a 16-hour fast. You may find that your body just clicks right in with that, and that is your perfect length, perfect eating window. That works well for you. A lot of men find that to be the case, like my husband. And, you know, I say that, but there are plenty of women who do 16-8 and do just fine. Yeah. Do you mind if I jump in there really quickly? Yeah, please do. To speak to that. And then also she was talking about it being a chronic stressor for women. So Emma, if you go back and listen to last week's episode, so that's episode 101, that's where we had Dr. Sarah Gottfried on the podcast. And so she went into very, very intense detail about fasting and women and whether or not it is a chronic stressor. And she went into a lot of like the deep science about it. So she said that she finds intermittent fasting works very, very well for about 95% of her female clients that she works with. So she finds that works well for most women. And the approach that she finds works well for most women is 16-8 and definitely like just to start with. So I do think for a lot of people just jumping in, 16-8 is a really good way to start. And as far as like the women question, I'll just direct you to that episode. Also, the episode that we had with Dr. Anna Kabeka was also very revelatory about women and fasting. So we've had some really good episodes recently. So I'll just direct you to those because they did tackle issues about whether or not fasting is stressful for women. I always tend to think that it all depends on how you are approaching your eating. You know, I eat with gusto. I eat a lot of food. I eat big meals. So for me, an eight-hour window, I ate too much food, and I didn't achieve appetite correction, and so I didn't lose any weight. But if you're a woman who's maybe a more dainty eater than I am, <laughs> then you may need an eight-hour window, or a short window might not be enough food for you, and that would be stressful. Yeah, that was something else Dr. Gottfried talked about was she said one of the reasons that one meal a day might not work for some women isn't necessarily because the fasting is stressful, but it's more because they're not getting enough calories within that eating window, which you totally can. So many women do, but then, you know, just depending on what you're eating, some women might be under eating. Right. I tend to overeat in an eight hour window. Just my satiety signals become more disconnected and I just, I just eat more. It's also starting earlier in the day. The earlier in the day I start eating, the more I tend to eat. So you really just have to figure it out and see how it works. That's why we, you know, we want you to tweak it till you find what works. And you're saying, how long do you give it? That's the tough question too. Dr. Herring in his books talks about making a tweak, giving it two or three weeks before you change something else. But again, if at any time something just feels wrong, go ahead and make a change. You know, plenty of people think, okay, you know, shorter eating window is going to be better. I'm going to give myself one hour a day because that has to be better. And so they'll just start off with one meal a day in a one hour window. And they find that they 
really, really overeat, they binge, they feel uncomfortable, you know, you don't have to give that two or three weeks if it feels awful. Go ahead and make a change and see what works and what makes you feel better. You tweak it until it feels good. Tweak it till it's easy. Tweak it till you get the results that you're looking for. I think a lot of people do this as well is they don't give anyone approach long enough to see if it's right. working. And like, cause Emma said that she's constantly second guessing herself and swapping and changing and not making any progress. So I would really encourage listeners to, when they do make the decision to try some sort of window, commit to it, you know, for like three weeks and write it out rather than doing it a few days and then being like, Oh, I don't know. And then, you know, swapping and then, you know, because you, you really got to write it out a substantial amount of time to see if it's working, I think. Unless you just know that it's causing, you know, like crazy binge behavior. And, you know, what we consider to be binge behavior may just be the feeling of being full. Like, gosh, I ate too much in my one-hour window, so I must have binged. But really, you just overate. And so that's not necessarily binge behavior either. So, you know, be mindful. Pay attention to how you feel. Tweak it till it feels good. Now, as far as, you know, 5-2 or 4-3, and those are protocols where you have, you know, two fasting days a week and the other days, quote, eat normally, or three fasting days a week and the other four days you, you know, quote, eat normally. Those plans work really, really well for a lot of people. Some people find, though, that doing a time-restricted eating or a daily eating window approach for a while first helps them to then make the progression if they want to try an alternate day fasting approach or 5-2 or 4-3 because you kind of build your fasting muscle a little bit and it's easier for them to make the transition. You know, Melanie, you haven't tried those protocols, right? I have not. I mean, the closest thing was before I did intermittent fasting back in the day, I might have occasionally tried like things that might have panned out to look like that because they were like right. super low calorie diet days. Or I think I did try one time back in the day, I tried to do like a longer fasting. That was a fail. They were all fails. <laughs> yeah. They're harder to do for people when their bodies are not adjusted to fasting. But in one of my intermittent fasting groups, the advanced group, we have some people that are spending some time in March working with a 4-3 approach or an ADF approach. And these are people that have been doing the daily eating window approach for a while. So they're trying it out and they're seeing how it feels. And, you know, responses are all over the board. And so we've got some people who are like, oh gosh, I did it for a week and a half. And I know this is not for me because I felt like I was right back in diet mode. You know, the down days, you know, the fasting days felt restrictive. And then on the up days, I was obsessed with food. This is not working for me. Whereas there are also people who are like, oh my gosh, I love the rhythm of this. This is fabulous. I'm going to keep doing this. And so you don't know till you try. And even the people who felt like after about a week and a half that it wasn't quite right, some people even find they give it just a little more time and then it does feel right. So it's just one of those things. It's so individual. Every single possible way you could arrange fasting, there is someone who loves it that way. And there's somebody who that doesn't work for at all. So that's why we keep saying tweak it till it feels right. Give yourself time. And just you want to feel better and better, not worse and worse. I mean, you might have a feel a time where you don't feel great, but you shouldn't feel worse and worse and worse and worse. That's what I want to get across. Yeah. And then as far as how to pick a window, I will put a link to this in the show notes. I was actually super excited when I released What When Wine, as listeners may remember, as an incentive for pre-ordering, I had a link to a quiz to find your perfect IF type. And I mean, it's pretty basic, but when I made it, well, first of all, I will say if anybody's ever made one of those quizzes before to like, you know, figure out your type for something, it's way more difficult than you would think, like to generate like the questions that would generate the right answer. It sounds hard. It's really complicated. You have to make it so that, you know, certain answers weigh certain amounts of, they give certain gravity towards different suggested protocols. So yeah, it was a learning experience, but hands down, it actually works pretty well. Like when I've tested it on me, it says that I would be a one meal a day type person. When I tested it on other people who I think would be different types, it says that they would be that type. But when I made that quiz, it really made me think like, okay, how should a person pick a certain window? And what I realized was that I think 
the main things to consider in general, are you the type of person who likes, like, do you like eating, you know, are you big eaters (laughs) like me and Jen? Like, do you like eating the big meal or are you like a snacker and you like just kind of, you know, eating lightly throughout the day? Because like, I think people who like eating lightly throughout the day, they're going to do better with more of like a longer, probably hours-based approach because, um, you know, like a 16-8 maybe, because then they can still kind of eat, you know, like a lunch and a dinner or a breakfast and a lunch and they can, you know, eat, you know, sort of lightly versus like a one meal a day where it's like you're kind of eating, you know, a lot all at once. A giant amount of food. It's true. And then, then there's also like the mental aspects. Like, are you the type of person who likes looking at the clock and being really regimented and on a schedule? Because then you're going to want to do a very, you know, definitive window with like maybe literal times on the clock. Like I stop eating at this time. Whereas if you're more of the person who likes the concept of just, you know, dinner versus lunch, you know, a more like open concept, that would suit them better. And then also like, so for example, are you more likely to feel restricted if you are trying to restrict to an eating window? Like, cause Emma said, for example, that only eating in a four hour window does sound like deprivation. So for her, I don't think she would do well just from a mindset perspective with a shorter window because she's going to feel like she's being deprived. So maybe it could be as simple as having a longer window, or it could be as simple as not seeing it as four hours and just seeing it as a meal approach, because then maybe seeing it as a meal approach would take away that deprivation concept, even though she might end up only eating for four hours. I do have an interesting point about that. Mm -hmm. And I actually mentioned this in Delay, Don't Deny. But if you had told me, you know, at the beginning that I would be eating the way that I eat now, I would have said the same thing Emma says. That sounds like deprivation. If you had told me, you know, like right now it's 5 p.m. I have not had any food yet and I'm perfectly fine and no big deal. If you had told me that I would be happily living this way, I would have been like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? You know, no, it would have felt like deprivation. I had to adjust. I had to get used to it. I had to realize my body naturally gravitated to this. And like, I remember when I was still, you know, losing weight and quote dieting and trying to get to my goal, I made all these plans of how I was going to eat when I got to goal so that it felt like I wasn't restricting. And now I look at those plans, they all seem crazy. But at that time, what I do now probably would have seemed crazy, like totally restrictive. So my point is, after your body adjusts, you may surprise yourself and realize the plan that seemed like it was going to be restrictive actually feels like freedom because that's the way it feels to me. I don't have to make a plan or worry about it. I just open my window in the late afternoon, early evening, and eat until satisfied. It's the least restrictive thing I've ever done. Yeah, no, exactly. And because people will often be like, because they'll look at the types of foods that I choose to eat, which I tend to eat. And this is like looking at the types of foods, but I tend to eat pretty simply and like whole foods and I don't go crazy and I don't make crazy recipes. I don't do all of these I don't know, things that people see as like... You're not making a casserole. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) And like, I don't indulge in like these decadent type, even like quote paleo versions of things. And I don't really want them. And, you know, people are like, you know, oh, but you're, don't you feel restricted? I'm like, no, I feel like really happy eating what I'm eating. Like that feels like freedom to me. Whereas my old self would have been like fantasizing about when I was going to, you know, have these things, but I don't want them. (laughs) So... right. It's definitely a paradigm shift. It is. And it's really hard to explain until you've been through it and your body has adjusted. So if you're going from thing to thing and not letting your body adjust, you may be missing out on being able to figure out what really feels right because you haven't given it long enough. Yeah. So I'll put a link though in the show notes to that quiz that I made. And Emma, you'll have to let me know if you take it, what it says that you should. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. All right. Shall we go on to the next question? Sure. This is from Carrie, and the subject is sweet supplements. Carrie says, hello from Texas. I have a question about supplements and clean fasting. I take vitamins in the morning in the fasted state and never had a problem. IF faster for about three years. I've recently added extract of pineapple and papaya for its anti-inflammatory properties. The tablets are chewable and quite sweet. 
Therefore, I just swallow them in a big gulp with the rest of my morning pills. My question is, since my tongue is not tasting the sweetness from the tablet, when the pineapple and papaya extracts are broken down in the gut, am I still risking an insulin surge as if I ate something sweet? Love the podcast. Thanks for all you do. Carrie, Austin, Texas. Great question. Well, hi, Carrie. This is a great question that I don't think we've had before. So hate to break it to you, Carrie, but um, you are quite possibly risking an insulin surge. Um, so I did a lot of research and I actually already like come across this when I was writing What When Wine, but our sweet taste receptors are not just in our mouths. They're actually in lots of places, including the nether regions. Do you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I learned that while researching this question, but that one's not really relevant so much as they are also found throughout the gut. So our intestinal cells actually do have receptors that detect the sweet taste and influence hormones from there. So one of the studies I was reading was looking at this on a comprehensive picture, and it was also talking about how just the sweet taste in general releases hormones and things like that. And that's why it was saying that maybe low-calorie sugar-free drinks might still create weight gain because it's just that sweet taste in general creating hormonal changes. But the actual study was saying that the sweet taste receptors, quote, have been localized to intestinal brush and enteroendocrine cells. And then it goes into a um, some other really intense details. But it says that these receptors recognize sugars, amino acids, sweet proteins, and artificial sweeteners. Another study was saying, for example, that although taste receptors were initially discovered in taste buds, a growing number of studies have demonstrated that sweet taste receptors are expressed throughout the body. So yep, things are a little bit complicated, but it looks like it doesn't necessarily matter if you actually taste it because your gut can know that you tasted it. And when I was doing research for what and wine, the studies I looked at were actually looking at rodents and rats, but it was finding the same thing that the sugar was actually releasing dopamine in rats from their intestinal cells, not from their taste buds, that they were getting that dopamine response. So Carrie, what I would suggest is I totally know about these supplements that you're taking, (laughs) the bromelain from pineapple and then the papaya enzyme. They make versions of that, which I personally take. They're not chewable tablets. So I would just get those. I will put links in the show notes to those. I would just recommend that you switch over to avoid any potential trouble there. And I would like to add, you know what is also very anti-inflammatory? Serapeptase. Well, no, that's true. (laughs) I was just going to say the clean fast. Oh, this is true. Fasting itself is very anti-inflammatory. So you could also just take it in your eating window. Just move that one, you know, right at the beginning. Open your window with it. I'm actually a big advocate of taking bromelain and these enzymes in the fast. I mean, like you said, opening your window would be good because they're going to get into your bloodstream, but it would be good to give them a substantial amount of time in that fasted state because that's when they're working systemically and not going to get tied up in any sort of food digestion. And that's when they can really boost, in my opinion, from the research that I've done, the fasted state and the deep cleaning that you get from fasting because they are becoming systemic. So that's a reason that we take serapeptase during the fast, for example. It needs to be taken away from food. Oh, that was something else I was going to talk about (laughs) at the beginning when I forgot. I had stopped taking serapeptase as an experiment for like a few weeks because I was like, I'm going to just kind of stop taking things and see what happens. I started taking it again. Why did I ever stop? So what's the difference that you, I haven't taken it for a while. I'm going to take it for life. (laughs) So what's the difference? I took it and like after having not taken it for a while and it was like, like I've been having this sort of like residual brain fog. I think it's from just a lot of things I've been going through still with like chelation and things that are not fun. But I took it after not having taken it and it was just like my brain just cleared up and I was like, oh, this feels so amazing. And I could really feel it like, I don't know, it just created a very, in my brain, my brain fog went away that I was having at that moment. And then I really saw anti-inflammatory benefits with like some fluid retention and things like that. So 
And now I'm hardcore back on the serapactase train. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to go back to it too. And I was like, I got a high dose this stuff. (laughs) I ordered like four different brands because I want to compare the different brands. And I've been hardcore researching like the manner of how it is delivered to the body. Like, should you get the actual serapactase itself coated with an enteric coating? Should you get the whole capsule coated? Should you do both? Like what fillers? What? Yeah. So... It's a whole train. I'm on the research train. I'll report back, but um, tangents. Awesome. All right. I'm going to experiment back with it again, too. Like I said, I originally started taking it for fibroids. And since I had not been having that trouble anymore, you know, I'm going through, I'm in perimenopause. I'm a woman of a certain age. So I was like, do I really need it anymore? Because I was taking it for a reason that I'm, I'm not having that problem. Yeah. I just think as far as like, because you know how we're obviously such advocates of fasting for all the health benefits and how it, you know is very anti-inflammatory and right. breaks down old proteins and autophagy. I just think that serapeptase really, really catalyzes that and really can take it to like a whole new level. All right. Well, I am going to experiment and see. Maybe we can remember next week to talk about <laughs> talk about it. Let's try to remember. Yes. I'll make a note. Okay. Now I've got to remember to start taking it again. I am the worst at taking supplements. That's the thing. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is excited to offer members a new way to explore their interests with the new Plus Catalog. This holiday season will certainly be more special than last. It's finally time to gather together and exchange thoughtful gifts with the people you care about. In the midst of all the holiday excitement, think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the absolute best time to do it with a special offer of 60% off your first three months. With Audible, you can listen to more of whatever you're into because Audible has it all. An unbeatable selection of audiobooks, tons of binge-worthy podcasts, and exclusive originals, all available to download or stream. Here's what you get. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month, like the latest bestseller or hottest new release, yours to keep forever. You can listen to Melanie's book, What, When, Wine, or either of my books, Delayed on Deny or Fast, Feast, Repeat. And coming January 4th, you can listen to Cleanish. Here's the best part. You also get full access to Audible's streaming library, the Plus Catalog. Discover your next podcast obsession, check that audiobook off your bucket list, or get lost in a world of original content from celebrity creators, best-selling authors, and leading experts. The kind of stuff you can't hear anywhere else. Stream all you want, as much as you want. No matter where you're going or what you're doing this holiday season, you'll always have just the right thing to listen to at your fingertips. Now that I'm doing a lot of driving to the beach and back, Audible is the perfect companion for each trip. There's so much to choose from that I will never be done finding great options. Right now, for a limited time, save 60% on your first three months of Audible. That's only $5.95 a month. Give yourself the gift of listening. For more, go to audible.com slash ifpodcast. That's audible.com slash ifpodcast. Or you can text ifpodcast to 500-500 for 60% off your first three months. That's definitely a gift you'll love to give yourself. And now, back to the show. Well, Sarah Peptase was always the one that kind of stayed a consistent. Me too. Me too. But now I've gotten out of the habit. I just wanted to take a break to see like what it was really doing, but bringing it back, I was like, why did I stop? Why? So yeah. Now I'm just overwhelmed, like I said, with all the brands. So we'll we'll talk some more. All right. Do we have time for one more question? Oh, wait, did you have any other thoughts about the sweet supplements? No, I think that's fine. You know, we do get a lot of questions about supplements and fasting and it's really tricky because there are no blanket answers, you know, even for vitamins. You know, Carrie says she takes her vitamins, no problem. Some people, though, do have problems from the vitamins. It's just that they vary so much in their ingredients that it's impossible to really just say yes to vitamins or no to vitamins or, you know, it's a tricky, tricky question. Yeah, I think in general, we're big fans of getting most of your vitamins and nutrients from your food. Right. And really making the fast as clean as possible as minimal as possible. Like I said, protolytic enzymes, I think are a little bit of a difference because they're supporting 
the mechanisms of fasting. Right. And then another supplement that I think is completely fasting appropriate is that restore supplement that Dr. Zach Bush developed because it's so benign. It's not going to even, in my opinion, and from what he said, it's not going to do anything that would take you out of the fastest state. It's only going to help with that regenerative healing process of the gut while fasting. Right. So those type of things. So one more question. This comes from Janelle. The subject is ketone strips and fasting. And she says, hello, I'm working through all your episodes. So you may have obviously answered this question and I haven't gotten to it yet, but are measuring ketones via strips helpful during IF, even if you are not following a keto diet? I've been doing a 16-8 IF protocol for three weeks and recently bought keto strips despite not doing a keto diet while eating. I find that during my fasting window, I am not in ketosis. Am I still gaining the fat losing benefits of IF if I'm not following a keto diet and therefore hitting ketosis? Slightly confused. Thanks, Janelle. And yes, Janelle, we've hit around on this topic in general a lot, but I don't know if we specifically answered, should you be measuring your ketones if you're not doing keto? And what are your thoughts, Jen? I actually am going to say no. I don't think you need to because it tends to make people confused and worry about things that you don't need to really worry about. You know, for example, if you've only been doing IF for three weeks and you're doing 16-8, I would estimate you're probably not getting into ketosis because I know for me, an eight-hour window If I did an eight-hour window every day, I would not be depleting my glycogen stores enough to get into ketosis. I know that about myself. Now, am I saying that's true for everybody? No. But also, if you've only been doing intermittent fasting for three weeks and you have an eight-hour window, you really probably are not getting into ketosis because it's going to take longer to deplete your glycogen stores, especially with that longer window. So maybe eventually you will, but maybe not. But the thing is, Instead of worrying about whether you're getting into ketosis or not, just ask yourself, you know, are you getting the benefits you're looking for? If so, keep going. If not, you can tweak, you know, make your window shorter and see how that works for you. For me, a five-hour window is short enough for me to find that I'm getting into ketosis during the day. Now, as far as those keto strips, they only measure ketones that you're excreting through your urine. So... Are you going to be excreting ketones through your urine and be able to measure them? Maybe not. People who are eating keto all day long, they make a lot of ketones. And so they have a lot more to excrete. So it's a lot easier to measure. But even so, as people adapt, you know, people who eat keto, people who are in ketosis long term, as their body adapts to using ketones for energy, you don't excrete as many in your urine. So all of a sudden, you may be doing the exact same thing and you're not getting anything showing up on those strips. Does that mean you're not in ketosis anymore? No. That means that your body is not excreting them through your urine anymore because your body is like, oh, these are good. Let's use them and let's not waste them. Yeah. Ironically, it means you're probably more ketotic. Right. (laughs) I think the (laughs) most telling pattern for getting more ketogenic is you know, starting out high urinary ketones and then that getting less and less and less. And the more I I keep hearing this from on other podcasts and I keep thinking about it myself, I'm like, it's sort of obvious in a way. Like if you're getting better at using ketones for fuel and you're eating the same diet, doing the same fasting and your ketone levels drop in your urine, it's most likely because you're using those ketones for energy. And that even applies to the blood. And I know that that's a hard one to wrap your mind around. Oh, well, it's not in your urine, but won't it be in your blood? No. People who have been doing a keto diet long term even find their blood ketone levels drop over time. Of course, some people are doing a keto diet that are doing intermittent fasting, but it's not required. But, you know, you may not be measuring high levels of ketones, but still be producing them and using them for energy and in ketosis. So I really think that the longer you do it, not, you know, Janelle is new. So Janelle is probably not there yet. But if you've been doing intermittent fasting for a long time and you're trying to measure ketones, you might not be able to. You know, like I have a friend who's trying to measure ketones. She's been doing intermittent fasting for years and she got a breathalyzer and she was trying to measure during the fast. She's like, I'm not getting them. I'm like, try this, you know, an hour or two after you eat, try then. I bet you'll get some then. 
you know, and of course, when you eat food, your body is running on your food or starting to switch over to using your food for energy. She's like, you're exactly right. I blew higher ketones two hours after eating than I had, you know, right before I ate. So does that mean that she went into ketosis after she was eating? No, it means that her body was like, oh, we have some ketones we can get rid of now. We've eaten food. She excreted the ketones through her breath after she had eaten food because her body didn't need them anymore. Yeah. Like I know for me, every now and then I'll measure my ketones with my Keto Mojo meter, which we have a link to that on ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. We also an interview with the founder. That was a really good podcast where we went into a lot of the details about ketones and testing. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But same thing, Jen, that you just said, sometimes I'll test like negligible for ketones while really deep in the fasted state and feeling very ketotic. Like I'm pretty sure I'm in ketosis, but it'll say, it'll say no, no, no ketones. Whereas if I eat like a dinner really, really full of MCT oil, I could measure while in the fed state, you know, a little bit later and the ketones would be through the roof. And it's because I ate a lot of MCT oil. You know, so, um, right. I think people kind of stress about the ketone strips and testing. But really, I think the consensus, you know, people haven't been measuring ketones and fasting for a long, long time. This is kind of new in the past few years. So people are just starting to, you know, talk about it and blog about it and talk about it on podcasts. But from what I've read, the consensus is the longer your body has been going in and out of ketosis, the longer your body has been running on ketones, if you're metabolically flexible, like those of us who do intermittent fasting, the fewer your body is going to have just laying around to measure. Yep. So I think that's an important point. So really, I would, and I really started going down this rabbit hole of learning about it after I got the Keto Mojo, after we had him on. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to test because that'll be fun. And then I'm like, what? You know, I know I'm in ketosis because you know, years ago when I had my breathalyzer, I would measure the ketones. This is how it felt. This is how my breath was. Why am I not getting high levels in the blood? I was getting low levels in the blood, but not high levels. So I started doing a lot of reading and that's when I started, you know, figuring it out to understand it a little bit better. And we're still learning. Like I said, we weren't measuring, you know, this isn't something people have just been doing for (laughs) a long time. These machines, these devices weren't around. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. We are a Himalaya partnered show. And like I said, if you will follow us in the Himalaya app, and then you will get access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. Also, you can use the Himalaya app to keep all of your podcasts in one place. You can make playlists. You can follow our intermittent fasting stuff we like playlist and uh, see different episodes that we recommend from other podcasts. Yeah, cannot recommend that app enough. I'm obsessed with it. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. And again, the show notes for today are at ifpodcast.com slash episode 102. Jen, so when we were talking about serapeptase earlier, yes, I took some of the new serapeptase that I'd ordered. <laughs> While we were having that discussion, I can totally feel it right now. That's really funny. My brain is like so alert and zen all of a sudden. That was quick. Well, because it gets really quickly systemically, I think, into your system. And then it starts going through. And then I actually get warm from it, which is really interesting. That is interesting. Oh, my goodness. Love serapeptase. But yeah, so that was all the notes for listeners. And um, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Nope. I will talk to you next week. Okie dokie. I will talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.